0: I'm going to read from the NRSV version because I think it has a little bit more of an edge than the inclusive version and it feels like it's good to have an edge when you're talking about the apocalypse. (laughs) When some of them were speaking about the temple and how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near, do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven." But before all of this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify, so make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. So we're talking about the apocalypse, the end of the world. It's the end of the world and I feel fine. (laughs) Due to the prominence of a certain strain of American evangelicalism, I think for a lot of us, when we think about the end of the world or the apocalypse, many Christians picture a violent precursor to Christ coming again, a time of spiritual warfare and mass slaughter that leads up to Jesus's return and the eventual arrival of the kingdom of heaven. Think of just about anything you've ever heard or read about the rapture or the second coming of Christ. If you are of a certain age, you might think about the left behind books or maybe those movies. The contemporary Christian imagination has gone a little hog wild in this direction, filled in a lot of missing details. But in thinking about the end times as a cosmic battle between good and evil, we've seemingly forgotten that we already know the end of the story. God has already redeemed the world through Christ. That battle has already been fought and won and we are living in the birth pangs of a new creation. Creation is already becoming, already awash in grace if we have the eyes to see it. We don't need to daydream up our own vision of the end times because we've been given one. Isaiah points us towards a future hope of A promise in his vision of the new Jerusalem. No more shall there be an infant that doesn't live but a few days. Or an old person who doesn't live out a lifetime. People will build houses and inhabit them. The wolf and the lamb shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw, just like an ox. They shall not hurt or destroy on all of my holy mountain, says the Lord. That's where we're going. That's the vision of the future that we are asked to invest in. It's a promise about God's continued reign over all of history. Okay, so given that, what do we do with Jesus's teaching in the temple? Our second scripture reading takes place in Jerusalem, and Jesus and the disciples and his followers are walking through the temple. A few of them are seemingly charmed by its strength, by its beauty. Jesus hears them talking, and he retorts, saying that everything they see, all of it, it's gonna come crashing down. As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. The science fiction novelist N.K. Jemisin says that the apocalypse, apocalypse happens all the time. The end of the world has come before and it's gonna come again. An apocalypse is a rupture a break, a tearing apart of the world as we knew it. There's a before, and then there's an after. And in the after, everything is changed, and you can never go back. Often, the apocalypse is filled with terror and violence and brokenness, but always, it means irrevocable change. We can never go back to the way things were before. The end of the world has come before. Didn't life as people knew it, didn't it end in the trenches of World War I? Wasn't it the end of the world when free men and women were kidnapped, taken across the ocean in hideous circumstances, murdered or sold into chattel slavery? For many Americans, maybe, the world ended when the Twin Towers fell or when children were murdered at Sandy Hook Elementary. Those were moments when the world, as humanity knew it, ended and we can't go back to before. Jesus is talking about exactly that sort of moment Here the author of the Gospel of Luke places him in the temple talking about an apocalypse that's just about to happen. To say the obvious, Luke was written after these events had unfolded. Jesus isn't just picking some random terrible things that might happen. Luke is commenting on very specific things that actually his audience would have just lived through. By the time Luke is written down, the temple has been destroyed. Disciples like Stephen and James and Paul have been martyred in Christ's name. Synagogues, the places that early Christians went to make converts, also were the places where they were persecuted, where they met resistance, where they were shunned. People can argue about whether or not Jesus foretold those events before they happened, or whether it's the author of Luke who's looking back in hindsight and filling in the details. It doesn't matter to me what you believe either way. Because the story is not about foretelling or prophecy. The story is about the promises that God makes to us. It's about Jesus's promise that not a hair on your head will perish. So the thing about the end of the world is that it happens all the time. Maybe you can name your own moment when the world has ended. When the bottom has fallen out, when you felt broken, and nothing has ever been the same since. Perhaps when someone died perhaps when the diagnosis came back. When someone you love started using substances or disappeared into gambling or some other addiction. For children, well, for all of us, apocalypses come when the house is taken away or the safe person isn't there any longer or when the job that fed you no longer provides There is a before and there is an after. Apocalypses come in all sizes and shapes and they leave in their wake destruction and death, grief and vulnerability. For about the first 10 years that I worked at Kalamazoo College, very predictably every spring, we would be visited by a street preacher from Texas. He came to our campus to picket us. He would hold up signs that said, God damns the gays. And he'd yell at us and tell us that we were all sorts of terrible things. He'd warn us that Jesus was coming back and that the apocalypse was almost here. And if we didn't get it right, we were going to burn in hell. I didn't worry too much about this man, to tell you the truth. He was such a character of a fire and brimstone preacher, he made my campus really mad, but I don't think he ever achieved even one convert in his time. I see him as sort of the most hyperbolic example of what Jesus is warning about. Many will come in my name and say that I am he, that the time is near, do not go after them. Jesus warned us about these types They use the apocalypse to lead us down false paths. But not all false prophets are caricatures. Or another way to say this is, I worry more about preachers and snake oil salesmen who aren't quite so blatant. As much as we like to think of ourselves as smart people, critical thinkers, we would never be led down the path of a false prophet, I think none of us should be so sure of ourselves. It's a human truth that when we are in the middle of a crisis, when someone shows up promising to make things better, it can be really tempting to follow along. The leader who promises to solve your money problems or your relationship problems, or to take your pain away, they are speaking to very real human needs. I keep thinking about myself at the beginning of the pandemic when it was so scary and we didn't know what was going to happen. I tried a variety of things to keep my family safe. I think I was very persuadable. Some of those things made sense and some of them in retrospect look a little silly like washing down my groceries. When you're vulnerable and you're scared, it is easy to be misled. And being misled, that isn't just something that someone else can do to you, that is something you can do to yourself. If we listen too closely to our own fears, to our own human anxieties, we might end up believing them In the middle of the apocalypse, if you aren't careful, you might end up believing that because the world is falling apart, well then God must be falling apart too. So Jesus calls us to respond differently. He's asking us about our witness, not just to others, but to ourselves. Who do we trust is in control? Whose voice do we listen to when the false prophets arise, when our own fears are screaming badly? And Christians, this isn't a game for individuals. We have been given the church, the body of Christ assembled today. We don't do this alone. We rely on one another when the apocalypse arises. We turn to the bodies, to other members of this body to calm our fears when they overwhelm us, to speak of God when we can't form those words for ourselves. In this season of all saints, we remember all of those Christians who have gone before us in faith, leaving us their witness. And today, as we welcome new members into this congregation, we make a promise to one another. We will be here for you. We will speak of Jesus. We will hold you no matter what happens, no matter how the world ends. Jesus asks us, who do we stand for when the world is coming down around us? Who do we follow and where do we turn? You will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. They will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or to contradict. Cling to Christ. Stick to the foundations of the faith that you have known. Trust even when you despair, because God will provide for you what you need. Jesus is offering us encouragement, a promise. When the whole house of cards comes crashing down around you, God will still be there. The temple may fall, but God won't. A pandemic might rip through your country. Democracy may fail. Institutions may undercut or desert you, but God will not. You may even lose people you love, but God will hold them and God will hold you in even the worst moments. I wish it was as simple, as saying that God is promising that nothing bad will ever happen to you. There's a tension in this passage, right? Jesus starts by telling us all the terrible things that are about to happen, and then he ends by saying, not a hair on your head will perish. And that duality, it seems to me, that's just the truth of life here on earth. The kingdom of God has these amazing moments when it breaks through and you can see and feel and know Christ in your midst. And then there are also other moments, so impossibly awful that they take your breath away. Yet even on the worst day, it's already been redeemed because there is nowhere you can go and nothing you can do that God does not go before you. When I think about the end times, I sometimes wish that I could fast forward, kind of like in a novel, skip to the end, read the last page. I'd like to know how it all ends. But then again, I suppose that that is only the providence of God. Our job is to trust that God is already there, already before us, leading us into the promised land, into that peaceable kingdom. And though this world, with devils filled, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Amen. And thanks be to God.